Amen. Well, this morning we'll be uh, looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Uh, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you want to open your Bibles there, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And I'm going to read that out for us before we look at that together. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Can you remember a time when you really rested? A rest that was unspoiled, untainted, even just for a few moments, a rest that was so deep and profound that you felt more whole than you did before after resting. Have you experienced a rest like that? Have you, can you remember a time like that? Maybe some of you have to think back really far to remember a time like that. Well, when I rest, I, I like to uh, drink coffee, read books, and get out into nature. And whenever I have experienced that, that wholesome, healing kind of rest, it's, it's been while I've been intentionally resting in God. You know, just walking in a place of beauty, like a lake or something like that, and just laying things down at his feet, the issues, the anxieties, the to-do lists, and just receiving his love, just becoming aware of his smile. There have been times like that where I've done that and I've really felt that God met with me. And I just felt this inner joy welling up because of how free and light and loved I felt. Don't you long for a rest like that? Don't you desire that? I wish I could experience it more often. Now my personal experience, I've got a dim glimpse of the rest that God promises to give those who believe in him one day. And our passage is so important for us to listen in on this morning because it promises this rest to us and tells us how we can enter into it. So this is relevant for all of us. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, maybe just listen along with an open mind. Because, I mean, what if this is true? 
What if a full and profound rest actually existed? What if this kind of rest was available? What have you got to lose by listening along with an open mind? I encourage you to do that this morning. Now in our passage today, the writer sets the promise of rest before his audience to encourage them in their faith. So let's start by asking what kind of rest the writer is talking about. Because I'm not so sure if he envisioned pina coladas by the beach or you know, an air-conditioned room with a nice couch and a subscription to Netflix. That might be reading some modern ideas back into the text a little. So why don't we ask, first of all, what kind of rest is the writer talking about? What is rest according to Hebrews 4? Well, there are a few different things playing into this idea for the writer of Hebrews. First of all, he is thinking back to the rest the people of Israel were hoping for in the promised land. You see, this explains who he's referring to in verse 2. He says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So them refers to the wilderness generation, those led by Moses out of slavery from Egypt, those who eventually died in the wilderness before they could reach the promised land of rest. Now, Later generations experienced this promised rest partially. After Moses died, God empowered a new leader, Joshua, to, to lead the people of Israel into this promised land, and, and they had some, some success. And before their conquest began, Joshua reminded them, in, in verse 13 of Joshua 1, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. And after the conquest, he says, and now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies. So we see that rest here is not referring to pina coladas by the beach, but it's referring to a land where there is peace, a place without war or enemies or conflict. And if you've read the book of Joshua before, you'll know that Israel did not take all of the land God promised them. The victory was not complete, and the rest they experienced was not the final and complete rest that God ultimately had in store for his people. That's why verse 8 says, For if Joshua had given them full and final rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. That's why verse 8 is there. There was still a greater rest to be had. They had not experienced all that God had envisioned in his promised rest. And so from this, we also get the idea that this promised rest is still on its way. It's still available. So the writer of Hebrews was, was drawing on this idea of rest being a future place of peace and prosperity. And the writer also develops the idea of rest from Genesis 2, where it talks about God resting from all his work and creation. He says in verse 4 of Hebrews for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And he quotes from Genesis 2 verse 2. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And in and verse 10 of our passage as well, he says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So we see as we draw from Genesis 2 that rest, this idea also includes the idea of stopping. It includes the cessation of work. And that's what the Greek word for rest, katapausis, means. It means to seek, cease work. So this idea is at play as well. 
So putting this together so far, we have a place of peace and prosperity, and we have the idea of the cessation of work, of stopping. And there is another Greek word in Hebrews chapter 4 that is translated as Sabbath rest. This is the only time where the author has not used katapausis, and it's probably on purpose. The Greek word translated here as Sabbath rest is sabbatismos, and it refers to a Sabbath celebration, a feast, a festival. In other words, it's rest with a purpose. It's not simply stopping, but stopping for the purpose of devoting oneself to a particular event or occasion. And in this case, it's probably the great feast at the end of time that is in view. The great celebration that believers will, will enjoy when, when God finally and fully establishes kingdom in this world. And he restores creation and brings evil and injustice to an end. So, so putting everything together now, what is rest according to Hebrews chapter 4? Well, rest is God's promised place of peace and prosperity. It's a place where we will stop, where we will cease our works in this world. And it's a place where we will feast and celebrate together. That's the promise God is holding out to us this morning. And I'd love for us just to meditate on this promise for a little while. I want us just to lay down the year that has been. We're on the verge of the new year. So why don't we just take a moment as a church to lay down all the busyness, the difficulties, the remaining to-do lists and slow down And myself and some others are going to read from the Bible to you about this promised rest. So Caroline's going to come up. We're going to be reading some selected passages from Revelation. And when we read, if you're a Christian, remember that this isn't just a nice story or some fairy tale. This is our coming reality. This is our future. This is the promised rest that God has in store for us. So let that sink in as we read these passages together. So slow down and just enjoy these few moments as we read about God's promise for those who love him. And we'll be reading from the New Living Translation because it's a little more vivid, so I'll hand over to Caroline. They stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there, and all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires his prophets, has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. This is the word of God. Now this is the vision of rest that awaits us. In fact, it's more than a vision or a picture. It's a coming reality. Like it said in that last verse we just read, what we have heard is trustworthy and true. We can put our hope in God's promised future. We can trust Him to do this. 
But maybe you're still not sure if this future rest will be yours. Maybe you're wondering, how do I know these promises are for me? Well, that leads us to the second question we're going to ask of our passage this morning. So we've looked at, number one, what is rest? And now we're looking at number two, how do we enter this rest? Well, we learn the answer to this by looking at how the wilderness generation missed out on God's promised resting place. It says in verse 6, Those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. And in verse 11 it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. Now what was their disobedience? What was it that that cost them entry into the promised land? Was it the fact that they made a golden calf as cow and and worshipped this image instead of God? Was it the fact that they grumbled continually against God as they went through the desert and, and against their leaders? What lay at the very heart of their fall from the promise? Well, verse 2 tells us, The message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And in case that's not clear enough, we can go back a couple more verses to 3 verse 19 where it says, They were unable to enter because of unbelief. You see, their main problem wasn't doing bad things. Their main problem was unbelief, lack of trust, a failure of confidence in God and his ability to come through to fulfill his promises. You see, the people, that wilderness generation, the people of Israel, they had received good news. They'd received a kind of gospel. The gospel for them was, hey, look, the same God who delivered you from slavery in Egypt who saw you in slavery and in harsh conditions, looked upon you with compassion. And he decided to send his chosen servant Moses to deliver you from slavery. He performed mighty wonders and miracles in your midst that you witnessed. He parted the Red Sea so that you might walk through. This God promises to give you a promised land of rest, of peace, a land flowing with milk and honey. He will give this to you. That was their good news. But as they went through the wilderness, as they went through the desert, they began to grumble. They began to think, well, why did we leave Egypt? At least we could eat properly there. Now we just have to eat bread all the time. They would look at the promised land, they'd see the nations that were there, and they'd say, how can we possibly overcome these people? They're too great for us. They forgot who their God was. They forgot who it was that delivered them from Egypt. And this was the same God who promised to bring them into the land. And because of their continual unbelief, they did not enter. That was their disobedience. Their disobedience was a failure to believe the good news. And you see, we are in a real danger of making the same error. Because we too have received good news. God saw us in slavery. Not to Egypt, but to something far worse, to death, to sin, to Satan. These evil powers ruled over us. And God looked upon us with compassion and chose to come in the person of Jesus to deliver us from these powers. He delivered us from their accusations, from their claim over our lives, by becoming the head of a new humanity 
This is what Romans 5 teaches us. You can go and read about it there. But here's the basic gist. Everyone born after Adam was born under the curse of Adam. You see, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. And at that point, a curse entered into that, to our story. And everyone born after Adam was born into his heritage and inherited his curse. This curse of sin that gives us this desire to dictate what our lives will be like rather than submit them to God. And more than that, we inherited the guilt and the shame that came along with his sin. And more than that, we perpetuated the evil all the more by sinning ourselves. And you see, Jesus came as a new human. He was the second Adam. He was the one who wrote a new story. He was the new representative of humankind. He wrote a righteous story. And all those who put their faith in him, it's as if God unites us with him. We come under his family name, under his name. We receive his righteousness. We receive his blessings. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Romans 5 teaches us. And last Sunday we talked about the fact that Jesus entered into the greatest condition of accursedness for us. We talked about the fact that right from the beginning of his life, he chose to come in a way that we did not expect. He was born in a dirty manger to a family of no estate, a family that was not even able to find a place in their own town to stay in. And he eventually went all the way to the cross and submitted himself to maximal shame and degradation there. It's as if he defeated evil by allowing evil to throw everything it had at him. It's as if he said, come on, throw everything you have at me. And still, it could not conquer him. He rose again with the power of an indestructible life. Our enemies stood back speechless. They could not defeat him. Instead, he defeated them and he will put them away once and for all. And not only that, but God's wrath was stored up against all evil and injustice. And unfortunately, you and I were mixed up with that crowd. So God's wrath was against us. And his wrath is is not him flipping the lid or some form of abusive anger. It's his steady, loving opposition to all that is evil, all that corrupts his world. And so our beautiful, gracious, loving, triune God decided amongst himself to take our wrath upon himself. He came as Jesus and identified himself with us. He represented us at the cross and experienced the wrath reserved for every atrocity the human race has ever committed so that all who put their faith and trust in him might be united with Christ so that it's as if we've lived a perfectly righteous life all along. That's why Paul can say things like Colossians 3 verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died. These people weren't physically dead. But by putting their faith in Jesus, God united them to Jesus. And so it's as if they died with Jesus on the cross. It's called substitution. He took on our sin and shame so that through faith in Him, we might receive His freedom and right standing before God. Isn't that good news? 
He's defeated our enemies. He's rescued us from our slavery. He's offered us His righteous life in our place. He has reconciled us to Himself. And one day, He will bring us finally and fully into the promised rest. Where every tear will be wiped away. Where there will be no more evil. And we will relish in the goodness and the mercy of God forever. Do you believe that? Do you trust in Jesus for that? Where there will be no more evil? A place like that? Do you trust Him to bring you into that place? Are you confident He can and will bring you into His promised rest? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Because the wilderness generation missed out on the promise, not because of making an idol or their grumbling, but ultimately because of their unbelief. Even after they experienced the mercy of God and their deliverance from Egypt, even after we've experienced the mercy of God and Jesus at the cross, you see the, the parallel there? Even after they experienced that, they grew numb. Their hearts were hardened. And they started to behave in ways that betrayed the fact that they really didn't believe in God's good news to them. They actually didn't trust Him to overcome the obstacles that stood between them and the promise. We don't enter God's promised rest through lots of good deeds. It's not for perfect people. We enter God's promised rest through unrelenting faith in Jesus. The promise is for a trusting people. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us this morning to persevere in our trust, in our faith and confidence in Jesus. To guard ourselves from the same error of unbelief that the wilderness generation committed. But we might ask ourselves, how do we guard ourselves? How do we persevere in faith? How do we stop our own hearts from growing cold to the good news of the gospel? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us some suggestions. And here's the third and final question we'll answer as we finish. How do we persist in faith? So we've looked at the second question. How do we enter rest? And we've said by unrelenting faith in Jesus. The third question, how do we persist in this faith? Well, in our passage this morning, we find three things that the writer urges us to do. He says, let us fear, lest any of you should have seemed to fail to reach it. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So we have three things. Fear. To fear lest we fall into the same error that the wilderness generation did. To soften our hearts, to keep our hearts open and soft to the Holy Spirit. We are warned not to harden them. And to strive to enter. Now these things are really general attitudes for us to take up. The writer here doesn't give us specific things to do, like a Bible reading plan or something. Instead, the Holy Spirit, through the writer, urges us to fear, to keep our hearts open to the Holy Spirit, and to strive to enter into God's rest. To fear. The writer puts before us the reality that some may very well fail to enter God's rest due to unbelief. 
the wilderness generation failed to enter into God's promised rest. That happened. And that's a real danger for us as well. Now, it might not be a popular modern idea to fear, but that seems to be the plain meaning of this passage. The writer tells us to tremble. To tremble with fear when we look at what happened to the wilderness generation. We're not playing games here. This is a fight, this is a battle to keep our eyes on Jesus. The stakes are high and we need each other. The writer encourages us to fear, not because God will jump at any opportunity to punish us or something terrible like that, but because the promise of entering his rest still stands. The promise remains open because God wants us to join him. So continue believing, church. Keep trusting. Keep putting your confidence in a good and loving God. And if you're here this morning and and you don't yet trust in Jesus, the offer is out for you today. As long as it's called today, the offer is there for you to respond and to put your faith in Jesus. First thing is to fear. The second thing is, he says, do not harden your heart when you hear his voice. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning, but as long as it's called today, we have an opportunity to enter God's rest. So if God has been speaking to you, whether through the service or through situations or through people or through your Bible reading, Hebrews 4 is appealing to you this morning, saying, do not harden your heart to him as the wilderness generation did. Do not shut out his voice. Listen to it. Obey it. That voice belongs to the one who lived and died on your behalf. He is for you. He is good. He loves you. Stay open to Him. As long as we have breath in our lungs, our God is not done with us. The Holy Spirit is encouraging us today through the book of Hebrews to fear, to listen, and to strive to enter. We're urged to make every effort to enter the rest, not by doing more, but by trusting more. By holding fast to God and His promises. For there is a glorious future rest for all those who do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that one day God will bring you through into an indescribably good future? That's the promise being held out to us this morning. Enter into it. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, we, we want to put our trust in you. Lord, help us, keep us. Thank you that you're the one who spoke through Paul saying that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Lord, we trust that you, the one who brought us into faith, will keep us for the rest of our lives. But Lord, help us to take this passage seriously, to take the warning seriously, and to hold fast to you afresh. Keep us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Set the promise of rest before us 
continually that we might desire to enter in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've promised us. You've promised to bring us to yourself, to the one who loves us, and you've promised to bring us into a place where there is no more conflict, where tears will be wiped away, where you will be in the very midst, your presence fully accessible to everyone. Lord, we hold fast to that. We worship you for all that you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Church, won't you stand with us now as we sing in response to the good news?